Hi, I'm Ewan. And I'm Sarah. And this is Popcorn, Popcorn and Cumin, a transatlantic dive into film and media with a healthy side of unrelated nonsense. Welcome to Popcorn and Cumin. Today we will be talking about the Golden Globes and our favorite movies of 2023. But first, we have to talk about our inter-country cultural differences. Yay. Okay, I will go first. So one difference that I've noticed between the UK and the US is, and I feel bad because most of mine are kind of negative things about the UK, but that's what happens when you're living in a new country. Mm-hmm. Mine is that when you have a shower bath, you know, like where there's a tub and then there's a shower head and you stand in the tub while you shower. That, does everyone have that image in their head? Yeah. <laughs> I can Good. picture it really well because we have one of those. <laughs> so... In the UK, their shower, you, you know, sometimes in the US we have shower curtains. I've had that once in the UK, but it's not very common. And other times we have sort of sliding doors or a door that opens, but the door will go all the way to the end of the shower so that water doesn't get outside of the shower. But in the UK, they have these glass doors Kinda, because they don't really open. In fact, some of them are glued. Our previous one was like glued to the thing, but it doesn't go all the way to the end of the bath. It only goes halfway down the bath. So are you picturing this in your head? So the shower door where like, you know, there's a little towel hanger on the outside of it. It only goes halfway down the bath. So it doesn't go all the way to the wall, which means the water just flies out of the shower especially if you have really good water pressure like ours does just flies out yeah you kind of have to angle the shower towards the opposite wall yeah which is kind of weird because then your water is hitting you at an odd angle it's not fully straight yeah it's not an ideal design someone needs to to rethink that you do get shower curtains here i'm not sure if maybe they phase them out because they're seen as a hazard you know, if you slip in the shower and then you go to, like, grab the curtain Are and you it just comes thinking down. of horror movies when that happens? No. But it could happen. Whereas that has happened to me. If you fall into the sliding glass or plastic, whatever it's made out of, maybe it'll break your fall a little bit. Oh. Or you'll hit your head on it. Yeah. How are the curtains a hazard, though? I don't know. I could just imagine you slipping and grabbing them and then it not actually being able to support you. Then the curtain comes down and you come down with a curtain. And then the rod comes down. Yeah. And smacks you in the head. Yeah. Really embarrassing. Yeah. As long as you don't get seriously injured. In which case it's still embarrassing, but you're also seriously injured. Yeah. I think that happened to me at my friend's house. Well, the, the rod didn't hit me on the head, but I accidentally... I, mu- I don't know. I must have slipped. And then I like... Their whole curtain just came down on me. So then I was just... There's a loud noise, and then my friend... This is, like, when I was young. So my friend's parents came and were like, Uh, are you okay in there? And I was just standing there naked, like, holding their shower rod. So, I guess, are you categorically ruling out that there are homes in the U.S. that don't have these shower screens in their bath-slash-shower combos? I mean, it's possible, but I have never seen one in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Because our our flat in Glasgow, where we used to live, had a curtain. It didn't have a screen. Yeah. 
It did. Oh, I'm sure it had a screen. Mm, I'm not no, sure. no, I remember because our flatmate had. It was the first time I saw that shower cleaner thing, and I remember I would try to spray it on the glass because oh, I thought clean. that that would work, but it didn't really work. Mm, maybe you're trying to spray you're it on the wrong. curtains. Yeah, I don't think I was trying to spray it on the curtains, but I think one of my flats in Edinburgh had a curtain along with that half glass thing. Yeah, and my friend who was American put up a shower curtain in her flat because water was getting everywhere. Mm. But anyway, enough about shower curtains. Okay, and, and my difference, which is relevant to our topic at hand, being movies released in 2023, is that because of the awards season, um, typically in the US, loads of movies are just released right before Christmas. They have to get them out. I think the cutoff for something to be considered for the Academy Awards slash Oscars is the 25th of December. That might have changed or I might be completely wrong, but I think that's right because I remember that like Django Unchained when it first came out was released on Christmas Day, which was a bit weird. Really? Yeah. Because I, well, maybe that was for the Golden Globes because I read that it was January 1st to December 31st. Well, maybe maybe that is the case. But maybe it has to have. Maybe they have to have time to view it before yeah. the year ends, so they need to leave a week or something. Yeah, which means there's often a big discrepancy between the release dates of films in the U- U.S. versus at least the U.K. Maybe other territories as well. Probably other territories as well. For example, me and Sarah just saw Poor Things yesterday which at the time of recording, that is the sort of start of January. And it's it's only been out in the UK for a couple of days, but I think it was released in the US in September. The Colour Purple hasn't been released in the UK yet, but has already been released in the US. And I think there's there's other instances, like uh, I think Poor uh, Past Lies was released earlier in the in the, uh, in the US than in the UK. So, and... I'm not really sure why the UK doesn't just release them at the same time as the US. Maybe I was saying to Sarah that potentially I think January and February are seen as sort of a dry period for releases where there's not much coming out. So maybe from a a business point of view, it's like, well, if we sort of push this to January, February next year, people will be wanting to see it ahead of the awards coming out or the the oscars happening in late february Mm. march so it might make more money then and we also don't have anything to to play in theaters at that time anyway yeah and i was saying that i would think january and february would actually be great times to go to the movies because it's very cold outside well depending on where you live it's probably pretty cold outside and there's not much happening in january and february they're kind of like boring sad times so the movie seems like the perfect cure for that the only problem is is that you could go to a a showing at any time during the the day in the uk and no matter what time the the showing is when you leave the the cinema it'll be dark yeah Uh, unless you go at 10 a.m yeah, which is a bit, a bit, a bit jarring for uh, when you go into a place and it's, it's, it's bright, and then you don't ha- have any windows, etc., and then you walk out and it's dark. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit freaky for you. Not great for jet lag. Yeah. So for for that reason, just to sort of illuminate my point, some of the films we've seen in 2023 would have been released in the U.S. in 2022, therefore would be considered for the previous year's awards cycle, and so we probably won't. Well, we won't be discussing them in relation to the Golden Globes because they're not nominated. But some of those movies are Babylon, 
which mm-hmm. we both liked. I think Sarah liked a bit more than me. I was a little bit disappointed just because the director's previous two films, uh, La La Land and Whiplash, I both think are really, really good. Uh, Whiplash in particular, but La La Land's really good as well. What do you love, La La Land? Yeah, Whiplash is like a, is like a perfect movie, though. It's like <laughs> a 10. It's like a 10 out of 10. La La Land's like a nine. It was the only movie I didn't fall asleep in yeah. during my film class. Well, too much really aggressive swearing and, and aggressive loud drumming. drumming. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That probably woke me up. <laughs> yeah. So the Babylon Puss in Boots The Last Wish, um, which was the second Puss in Boots standalone movie, which yeah. we saw last year. Um, the Fablemans, uh, Tar, and All Quiet on the Western Front. So That was released later here? Yeah. And The Menu. The Menu as well. Unless my notes are incorrect. No, I, th- I think that, that, that would also count as that, yeah. That, I hated that movie, though, so... Yeah, Sarah, that had a sort of quite graphic depiction of suicide, which Sarah didn't, nope. didn't jive with. No, thank you, yeah. no. I did really like the Puss in Boots movie, though. Like, surprise, I thought I wasn't going to like it. I thought I'll, I was like, oh, it's a kid's animated movie, whatever. But it did, in fact, make me cry, and the animation was pretty cool, so... Yeah. No, the, the, the Puss in Boots movie, for anyone who hasn't seen it, was a real... I'm not sure if sleeper hit is the right word, because I think it like did decently well at the box office, but I sort of... Well, I went into it expect, having decent expectations because I'd heard a lot of people who'd said, I went into this with no expectations, and it was really good. So, And I remember on like Letterboxd, it was like, at one point, the sixth highest rated movie yeah. of all time or something. And the, the wolf is like terrifying. Yeah. So just a, a, a brief synopsis is that in the movie, Puss in Boots is down to his last life of his nine lives, which is inherent to being a cat. And uh, the pers- personification of death in the, the Shrek universe, which is a wolf that wields two sickles. The big bad wolf. The big bad wolf who wields two sickles with glowing red eyes is mm-hmm. hunting him down to... Two sickles? Yeah. What is a sickle? Like in Harry Potter. No, that's a coin. I know it, that's a coin. A sickle is a tool you would use to... Sickle cell. No. <laughs> that is also a thing. Sickle cell anemia, I think, yeah. is a sort of serious disease that can be cured with stem cells. Anyway. I hope that's right. <laughs> I'm fr- yeah. <laughs> don't don't take that as medical advice. Consult a doctor. <laughs> anyway. Uh, sickle. A sickle is something I think you use to get wheat is part of the, the 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 wheat process. Wait, are you thinking of like the thing that the Grim Reaper has? Yeah. No, that has a different name. I'm pretty sure it's a sickle. No, I don't think so. Let me see. A scythe. A scythe? <laughs> is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. I've never heard someone say it out okay. loud. A scythe is also used. Scythe? Yeah. This a scythe. Thing. That's what the Grim Reaper holds. Yeah. I'm talking about Puss in, the Puss in Boots movie. He has two sickles. A scythe is also used, I think, in a f- agricultural process. Oh, like hooks. Yeah. Well, I think they're sickles. Oh, maybe they're maybe they're hooks. It's terrifying. Okay. Anyway, to the Golden Globes. Yeah, to the Golden Globes, Batman. All right, the Golden Globes. So, in the last year, no, in the last few years, there has been some drama with the Golden Globes. In fact, the 2022 Golden Globes were not even televised because they were boycotted. So we're going to go back just a little bit 
and have some a brief history on the Golden Globes. Very, very brief, more recent history. So they were founded by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which is an organization representing um, international journalists who reported on the American entertainment industry. And then revenue from the Golden Globes, I think they were founded, I think in around 1950. And revenue from the Golden Globes from the ceremony were used to fund entertainment-related charities. So it was founded, you know, with good thoughts in mind. Yeah. Yeah, trying to fund charities. That's good. But in recent years, it was criticized for a lack of diversity. So the HFPA, which is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, are the people who would vote on the Golden Globes. And it was, like, very small compared to, especially compared to the Academy. So when you think of like the Oscars, that has a much bigger voting base, which some would argue makes it more likely to be a fair vote. Yeah. Potentially. But um, in 2021, so they were criticized for a lack of diversity, particularly a lack of black representation and criticized for having sort of a low membership in general, a low voting base. So in 2020. Two, or they announced a reform plan in 2021, but the plan wasn't completed by the 2022 Golden Globes. So that led to a major boycott of the Golden Globes, including NBC, who usually airs the Golden Globes, which is why they were not even televised last year. It was just a small, intimate ceremony. And a lot of like Netflix, I think, boycotted, and so did Amazon Studios. So they're pretty lame last year. But then this year, they... The HFPA, they approved a major restructuring, and now we're getting boring stuff. The assets and the intellectual property is now owned by Eldridge Industries rather than being owned by the HFPA, uh, which is a subsidiary of Dick Clark Productions. And so now they oversee the professionalization and modernization of the ceremony, including increasing the size and diversity of the available voters for the annual awards. So... This year, in 2023, they were aired again on NBC. They renewed their contract with them. And a new racially and ethnically diverse group of voters voted this year, made up of 300 journalists from around the world, representing 76 countries. And that is who selected the 2023 winners. So there's your little... Good job, guys. Dramatic history of the Golden Globes. And as someone who hasn't really ever previously studied up on what the Golden Globes is or, or how it came to be, etc., my understanding has been that it's considered less prestigious than yeah. the Oscars. And because they actually do TVs and movies, it's also less prestigious than the Emmys, um, which I think is the sort of like... If you're in, into TV and stuff, that's what you'd be gunning for. Mm, but it usually marks the beginning of awards season. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those where it's more prestigious than like a Teen Choice Award or yeah. like an MTV like the, movie award or something. And celebrities and stuff actually attend it. And... Yeah, generally, it seems. Apart yeah. from last year. Except when they boycotted it. Yeah. Card, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've heard anecdotally that they've been taken less seriously because as Sarah had just mentioned, the small voting pool means that previously it's like a thing where in the Oscars season, people will be campaigning for Oscars, etc. Um, but 
the campaigning for to win a Golden Globe could be as simple as I'm going to buy all the voters who are all in this room a lunch and then they'll all vote for me. So it sort of maybe lacks some credibility in that sense. But really what we are, we've latched onto this to, to discuss, just it's a good reason to discuss about movies that have, have come out. Um, we'll probably discuss movies that have come out again last year as in 2023 when the oscars come around but yeah maybe by um, then we'll forget about all of them yeah well the oscars will probably have more because they're taken more seriously they'll probably be more sort of contentious opinions so there might be some shock results that we can really dive into whereas here we can just sort of discuss generally the movies and what was nominated and what won and how we feel about them etc okay so we're not going to talk about every single award yeah because some of them we don't have the insight or yeah. care to talk about. <laughs> so first off, best motion picture drama went to Oppenheimer. Which for me was my favorite movie that I saw in 2023. Um, Spoiler. I really, yeah. Well I, well, I mean, we're starting off with the, the major awards. So yeah. Um, yeah, I really liked Oppenheimer. I'm... I'd say a, like a, a Christopher Nolan fan. I'm not like one of these like Christopher Nolan like super fans mm-hmm. that um, like sort of marvel at everything he does and think he's the best director ever, etc. Which I find those people, you know, can be a little bit grating. Yeah. Um, well, I quite liked him too until Tenet. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. So I didn't think Tenet was very good. I like Interstellar, but I've only seen it once. And but I know like a lot of people will say. Uh, particularly film bros are like Interstellar is my favorite movie ever which I've not really it didn't resonate with me in that sense upon first viewing I like Dunkirk um I think the prestige is a bit overrated which is again like some people will really swear by I actually think his best movies are probably Oppenheimer Memento and The Dark Knight The Dark Knight the Heath Ledger one yes yeah The Dark Knight Rises is not Not very good. good yeah which I've held that opinion since it came out and upon I actually rewatched it last year thinking you know maybe i've been too harsh in this and i actually liked it even less so uh, <laughs> that was kind of interesting so yeah just to say i'm, I'm not one of these uh, christopher nolan like super fans yeah well christopher nolan also won best director for spoilers well Spo- i wasn't going to even say that yeah. but now we're talking about um, it which i think was his first or maybe his first win for best director at the golden globes or something i saw because there was a big people were saying it was the first time he'd been on the golden globe stage since he was accepting an award on behalf of heath ledger so that's poor christopher nolan well i mean him accepting it on behalf of Heath. yeah well that's yeah that's that's sad sad. don't you feel bad yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't Um, feel bad that he hasn't gotten an award since then yeah people love him Mm. Yeah, I don't think he's ever won an Oscar actually. So uh, that'll be interesting to see if this Him and is. Leo. Yeah, well, DiCaprio's won one now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe a second. Uh, yeah, maybe. Probably for Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I'm not actually sure who would be considered the favorite for that at this point. So yeah, I'm sure he'll be nominated. Yeah. But yeah, Oppenheimer, I thought was I was really engaged for the full three hour runtime, which I know a lot of people would probably say is like too long, etc. Which is that is often that is often I mean Sarah knows me that is often one of my critiques coming out of movies, and I was fully engaged and no. riveted by it the whole time. You love long movies. You loved the Batman. You loved this. You love Killers of the Flower Moon. But These all- are all three hour plot. You love Lord of the Rings. Mostly. Yeah, but I mean, all of those, the Batman, I think, was too long and that could have been shorter. Way too long. Killers of the Flower Moon was too long, way too long and could have been shorter. I guess of the really long movies, Oppenheimer 
held my attention more, maybe. Yeah. But, well, are you done giving your praise to Oppenheimer? I mean, you can go chime in with your, <laughs> your opinions if you want. Well, I did think Oppenheimer was a very good movie. It was technically amazing. I... Number one, I was just talking about how many biopics of random ass men from history do we need? Yeah. So, oh, all of these musician movies coming out all about men. I know now there's like a Amy Winehouse one coming out, which is great, whatever. But all of those ones, there was Ford versus Ferrari. And then, oh, we needed another one about Ferrari. So now there's another one about Ferrari. There's all these... <sighs> we need a movie about Jim Clark. He's a race car driver from the Scottish borders where I'm from. <laughs> we need more movies about women. That and and there's way more big male directors than female directors or non-binary. Well, way more than non-binary directors. And yeah, I'm just kind of I'm just I'm just kind of sick of going to films just about men. Yeah. And this one was really really about men. <laughs> like there are two no, there's technically, I think, three women characters in it. One of them supposed, like, is like, oh, can I be on the team to work on the bomb? And then she kind of is allowed onto the team, but then she doesn't have any more lines. She doesn't do anything to contribute for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, she does, I think, highlight, I mean, your critique. The sexism of the time. Yeah. Yes. And then the, the, only, the two main female characters, one of them is Emma, what's her name? <laughs> Emily Blunt. Emily, Emily Blunt. I'm sorry, I'm bad with actor names. Emily Blunt, and she's just basically like drunk the whole time and yells a lot. That's pretty much mostly what she does. And then the other one is Florence, Florence Pugh. Pugh, who just sits there naked and then kills herself. Spoilers for Oppenheimer. Or did she? Because apparently that's uh, a bit of a oh. gray area. And some people think that she maybe was killed by the CIA or the FBI, which is alluded to in Oppenheimer because you apparently the, the shot where you see her, her corpse, there's some like hands or something that you can see maybe trying to drown her, um, mm. which I thought is like interesting, interesting detail. Another tick next to Nolan for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, those were my problems with it. But I and my other thing was that even though I thought it was, again, technically really good. It did such a good job of keeping me on edge the whole time that I'd never want to see it again. I'm glad that I saw it once, but I don't want to go through that experience again of being like constantly just like on edge. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it a bad movie, but I, my parents wanted to watch it and I said, no, I'm not seeing that again. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, some people like those sort of, you know, tense thrillers where you are like on edge and that's kind of the way you get your adrenaline out of movies etc yeah. but um so i mean you used to be into horror movies and you're not so much anymore maybe you'd have been more into the tension built by oppenheimer if you're still more into horror movies yeah well now i get enough anxiety out of my daily life <laughs> so yeah i, I mean I, I i do i think all of your sort of critiques etc are valid i mean the the idea that there's too many biopics about men etc and there's not enough representation of women both on screen in terms of stories about women by women in terms of being written and directed by women is valid i don't necessarily think that makes oppenheimer worse but um mm. it is a, a well it's more christopher nolan had a choice of what story to tell and that mm -hmm. 
And that's the story he chose to tell. Mm-hmm. So. But, I mean, we'd probably keep go even further because then if he does a biopic about a woman, then maybe you're saying, like, is he doing it from with a man's voice? Would a woman be better placed to tell that yeah, story? But that's why, yeah, but that's also why we need more female directors. Yeah, which I, I fully agree with. Um, like? Greta Gerwig. Yeah. And Catherine Bigelow and Sofia Coppola. Yeah, well, and we'll talk... Maybe we'll talk a bit more about Barbie later when we're deciding on our favorite movie of 2023. But yeah. that is a good example of a mm-hmm. woman creating a movie about women. Yeah, and some men, some idiotic men. <laughs> so also in this category is um, was nominated was Past Lives, which is a, I think, Korean-American movie, which is a kind of interesting... I, I suppose it has to be like a romance movie although the central plot is a kind of about this unrequited love angle of two uh, childhood friends and one moves away and then they find themselves back in contact with each other and they're sort of re-engaging that relationship and how that sort of transpires and I really liked Past Lives I thought it was quite interesting I remember it having quite a lot of you know heartfelt moments and it's quite interesting sort of subject matter where you have um, people you know who are really close at one point in their lives and then they move away and the way people are you know in some ways forever linked to each other even if they haven't had any interaction for years and years and the way people grow apart and can grow back together etc so yeah I, I'm wary I don't want to like spoil what actually happens in it so yeah. for people who haven't seen it but I did really like past lives yeah no I really liked past lives too it's definitely in the running of maybe in the top three of my favorite movies of 2023 i just thought it provoked so many feelings just feels about relationships and being human and i don't know yeah made me cry yeah and there was quite a lot of video conference interaction of people stuck across from different sides of the world which resonated with us because that has happened at various points in our relationship so yeah. maybe that, that some cheap emotional manipulation on the film's part yeah. in terms of us but, uh, yeah and usually after movie I have tons and tons of notes critiques but after past lives aside from one small thing I had no notes which yeah. is very surprising for me yeah I, I think our critique was basically the same in that it was it opens with a sort of unnecessary framing device mm. where you see the characters in the movie are being observed by people off screen who are then the rating being like I wonder what's happening here yeah. etc I just, wonder is that her brother she's talking to or do you think she's dating him or maybe the other guy is her brother and it's never even resolved at the end like who it is who is talking yeah. And yeah. it just seems like very pointless and weird. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit having, you know, over the Christmas period, just watch It's a Wonderful Life again of the angels talking to each other in the sky mm. at the start of the movie. Um, yeah, but they had some connection to the Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> to the plot. Yeah. My other critique with Past Lives was that the actual reason why they it's called Past Lives is about this Korean bit of, I think, mythos or cultural significance. Oh, yeah. And I think they ended up it felt like they explained what that was like three times throughout the movie and I was like after the first time I was like oh that's clever and then the second time I was like okay well I got it the first time and then they did it again and I was like all right <laughs> like mm-hmm. I get what you're trying to say with this symbolism but um 
Yeah. And then the other film that we've seen in this category is Killers of the Flower Moon, which mm. is the longest movie we've seen this year. I think we're in some so ways still watching it. Long. Yeah. Including the previews, we were at the theater for over four hours. Yeah. Which is too, too long. I don't think I even went pee, which is... Yeah. Well, maybe that indicates there's something wrong, because yeah. normally I would. Yeah. Did you fall asleep at any point? Mm, I think I... I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think I zoned out maybe at, at a few points. Yeah. That one was another one that was good. <laughs> Will you say what you thought about it? So I thought it was like really good although i do i mean it was three and a half hours long it definitely could have been shorter and it was quite indulgent Mm. in that way um i had the same critique with irishman which was scorsese's previous or movie that he did before this one which was also about three and a half hours long i thought kills of the flower Moon was better than that but yeah i mean a lot of really good performances and a really interesting story about i guess the way that indigenous people in the u.s but could happen in other cultures etc are completely exploited and even i mean the whole premise is that these uh members of the osage tribe slash nation in um in the states are given these uh rights to the oil and you're thinking that the, the oil that is discovered on their land and you're thinking well that's nice at least they didn't just like steal the oil from them immediately but then actually what happens is that the way the rights are given to them it's that they're linked to them in a way that if you are married to a member of the the nation the osage people you basically it becomes part of your co you know owned marriage property and then a lot of mysteriously a lot of these uh people who have these rights to this oil then start dying yeah and isn't the don't they also still isn't it still controlled by is it the government like they have to go and request yeah so that was something that you see in the movie that they but i think could have maybe been explained a little bit better or sort Mm -hmm. of highlighted more where it it sort of I mean, I can't go into the full historical grounding of this, but... We haven't read the Yeah, book. it was as if the, the government were not trusting the Osage people to be able to actually use their money in the same way a, a white person would have been able to. So they had to basically like request it through these like white bankers, etc. And mm-hmm. I don't know, the whole, the, that whole process felt a bit like icky. So Yeah, and my main critique of the film is in in previews for the movie, it kind of implies that the indigenous people and the indigenous women are kind of taking back their agency. Whereas in the actual movie, they basically have no agency. It's basically all these all these events, all these pretty horrific events are just happening to them. And there's not there's nothing mm-hmm. that they need a white person to come in mm-hmm. and save them. Yeah, and I guess what you would say is that I think is Molly, um, Lily Gladstone's character, she does display some agency in that it's her strength which helps get the FBI involved. Mm-hmm. But actually, the way it's shown, and like they maybe could have done a better job of like making that the sort of center point of the movie is like, yeah, this is how hard she fights to actually write this wrong yeah like yeah the main story is leonardo dicaprio's character's story really Mm -hmm. not 
as much yeah molly's story yeah and his character is you know quite despicable in his own way i mean an interesting character in that he does seem to sort of genuinely love his native american osage wife molly um or lily gladstone's character but then he's also completely fine with completely manipulating her and ruining her family and doesn't seem to be able to um you know square the circle in his brain as to how those two things could be you know diametrically opposed it's like i love my wife but i will gladly help ruin her family and that's okay yeah he only seems to really realize that that was a bad thing right at the end after having done everything which is yeah i mean i guess if that's what the guy was like that's what he was like but and i wasn't really sure by the end if if he's just an idiot who was easily manipulated by his uncle is that right Mm -hmm. i think he's an idiot like i think he's meant to be you're meant to think he's an idiot but part of it you would think that he would be struggling morally with it throughout, yeah. but you don't... I don't think he's smart enough to have moral struggles. That's the... the you, what I kind of think You don't think the, some of it is just an act? You think he really is just a complete idiot? Yeah. I okay. mean, that was my interpretation. I think yeah. um, you see the way Robert De Niro's character interacts with him. I don't think he thinks he's particularly smart either. Yeah. And yeah, he's this kind of, I guess, useful idiot. To, to coin a, a phrase. Okay. Well, that was the movies that we had seen of best motion picture drama. So now best motion picture for a musical or comedy, which why are musicals and comedies put together? I just don't get it. And why are the only types of movies drama or musical slash comedy? Yeah. Or animated? Yeah. And what if the animated movie is a musical? What if it's comedy? Yeah, I have to say, this is one of the things about the Golden Globes that I really kind of hate. Like, I don't really get what the point of the distinction is. I would think if it was like, oh, musicals slash comedies aren't taken seriously enough, and that, like, the Oscars wouldn't nominate them for Best Picture, etc. So we have to try and, you know, these movies are deserving of praise and we need to create their own category. Like, my thought would just be just if that's what your opinion is, just have them all in one category and then nominate them. Yeah, and then, for example, one of the nominated movies was The Holdovers, which is nominated as a musical or comedy, which it has some comedic aspects to it. And the trailer seemed to market it as a comedy, but I felt like it was more leaning more towards a drama with some funny moments than a yeah. comedy with some serious. Moments. I would say like the the parts I liked about it, and and I I did quite enjoy it. Like the drama aspects were probably stronger than the comedic ones. Yeah. Um, and that's not me saying that it's not funny, but like I was really sort of taken with some of the characters and their struggles etc and uh yeah if that had been nominated as a drama i don't think anyone had been like that should have been in the comedy section yeah well and i didn't think it was that funny yeah but i still liked it mm-hmm. i thought there were like a few funny moments but overall i just mm-hmm. was more invested yeah like you said well i mean it's kind of interesting because the, the, the it, there's three sort of central characters in there and they all have these quite, you know, difficult struggles that they're trying to overcome. And at some moments, 
you know that helps increase the levity and like there is comedic aspects but a lot of the time you're kind of more distracted by being like man all these people are kind of really going through stuff and i feel really bad for them it's like i'm not in the right mood to laugh so yeah i don't really understand the distinction what they they make with them um I don't actually think the thesis I was giving before is even like valid because I'm sure musicals have always been nominated for best picture. The I don't mean like any musical will be nominated for best picture. Not recently. No, but the last historic. I mean, Oliver. Like Chicago won. was the last one to win, wasn't it? Yeah, but that was a long not, time ago. But there's not that many musical films that come out anymore. Yeah. Recently, there's been more, but there was like a dearth for a while. Lady Miz was nominated for Best Picture, and I don't think it's worthy of that. Yeah. Oliver, I think, won. I think some of the music was nominated for Best Picture. I mean, it's not like they've they've never been nominated. Yeah. It's not like horror movies where they're just like not considered. Yeah. So back to sort of talking about the holdovers. It did not win Best Motion Picture Comedy Musical, but Davine Joy Randolph. Mm Hmm. Randolph, who, Randolph. Who you might be familiar from Only Murders in the Building, if you like that show. She plays the, I think, police captain who yeah. occasionally interferes with the gang's investigations. Yeah, I like her in, in that as well. But I thought she was good in it, and she won Best Performance by a Female Actor in a Supporting Role in Any Motion Picture. Which is, it's interesting that they don't have the distinction for the acting categories. Yeah. Because you would think that dramatic acting and comedic acting are actually probably more worthy of separating. Yeah. In some ways. They're sort of different arts, aren't they? Yeah. But that's good for her. She was good in the movie. She played... The sort of chef slash cook. She, she yeah, prepared food school. at the boarding school. Yeah, her, her son has died and used to go to yeah. the school and that's one of the things she's struggling with but yeah she good performance uh paul giamatti also won i saw for uh category probably best performance by a male in any in any motion picture oh no they're, they're so he would have won for best performance by a male in a motion picture musical or comedy but because it's not a supporting role i guess it's it's distinguished so supporting roles aren't distinguished between drama and musical slash comedy, but otherwise they are. So Paul Giamatti won, and he did a good performance. So good job, Paul. Bravo. So back to best motion picture, musical or comedy. The Holdovers did not win. The other two we've seen on there, so one of them is Barbie, which mm-hmm. did not win, no. sadly. After although, all that hype. Yeah, although it was beat by Poor Things, which is also quite a feminist movie, and I liked a lot. So I think I'm okay with that. They're kind of equal for me, Barbie and Poor Things. Yeah, yeah, I think they're both... I mean, I would have been happy... To be honest, I would have been happy with the holdovers Barbie or Poor Things winning. I do think... I think Poor Things is maybe the best of the three, so... Maybe they got that one right, but... Yeah, um, and we'll talk about Poor Things in depth later on. Yeah, when we get to our our review, as we've just seen that, so it's fresh in the brains. Yes, but I do think Barbie... Barbie is also in my top three, and I maybe enjoyed the experience more, just because sort of personal preference... Poor Things had some, like, quite weird things, which maybe just aren't so much my vibe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Barbie is 
add some weird things too, but in a different way. Four Things has a lot of sex in it. Let's put that out there. You know, it's just, it's <laughs> that's not the weird things no, I'm talking about though. I don't think sex is weird. No, no, I just mean it's just it's a lot like it has a more sort of it's in your face adult kind yeah. of vibe than um than Barbie, which you know kids could see Barbie and enjoy it. Yeah. In fact, I'm sure like. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of kids did see it and enjoy it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of themes and stuff that are maybe a bit harder to digest for like an eight-year-old, but it wouldn't be appropriate for an eight-year-old to see poor things, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Barbie was just... We went... We saw it in a, our local independent movie theater. I saw it with Ewan and my parents. Yeah. <laughs> and... It was still during the sort of Barbie hype, and it was just a it was, the Barbenheimer hype. Yeah, it was just a fun experience because everyone was just cackling at every single joke, mm-hmm. which made it maybe seem more funny than it actually was. Yeah, but I don't know. I think that the the Barbie plotline is quite um, kind of deep, like exploring what it means to be a human, which I'm always drawn to things about, just like what is the point of being here what makes us human and all that sort of nihilistic tendencies yeah whereas and then the ken plot line was just funny yeah there's just so many parts that was like this is just ridiculous Mm -hmm. but kind of hilarious yeah it was it was cool to be a part i say me but it was like (laughs) because of this whole like hype it was like generating etc babe you can be part of barbie i just didn't want to make it seem as if i actually did anything i i just (laughs) watched the film but um it was cool to be that you know it was like a sort of cinematic moment in that there was so much like hype around it and like everyone was like really excited to see it etc um and it's you know we as we were running a film podcast it's it's cool that i think with like streaming etc there's been that moments like that are probably less and less in the past 10 years etc especially if, if it's not like a superhero movie to have one a moment where people are really excited for something and going to the cinema and to, to experience something is good and to it not being superhero movie. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but it's just nice to have a sort of diversity of subject matter, especially because this is a more like diverse movie than probably other previous like blockbusters would have been, etc. Whether yeah. male-led action movies or... So by Greta Gerwig, and we quite like oh, yes. both her previous works, so this one quite a lot more comedic. Although Lady Bird's quite funny. Yeah. Some really funny Lady, Bird Lady Bird is so good. Yeah. That's one of my favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. Not only because it takes place in Sacramento and somewhat Davis. Well, they talk about yeah. my hometown a lot. Because Greta Gerwig is, is from, Sacramento. from Sacramento. And I've seen in an interview that she's interested in directing two more. She has ideas for two more movies that take place in Sacramento. Maybe you'll get to be in one. Yeah. <laughs> I think of her movies, I think she's only done three so far, so she's still kind of at the beginning of hopefully a long directorial career. Mm-hmm. I think Lady Bird's my favorite, and maybe Barbie's my... I don't want to say like least favorite in that I don't think is good, it's just I probably like Little Women more than it as well. Oh, so, Little um, it's, Yeah, that's like a redo. An adaptation. Yeah, an adaptation of a of, of, of well, a movie of a book. 
I, I do think she's maybe signed on to do like some like Narnia movies with Netflix, which what? yeah would be. I feel like she should be giving her agent a call, unless she's like some sort of Narnia super fan. That is. I would rather her be doing some some other stuff, but I mean, she can do whatever she wants. I'm sure it'll be good. I have no reason to to think it would be um, anything less than good. That is why it just doesn't fill me with excitement. <laughs> So, yeah, I really liked Barbie, but I am okay with Poor Things winning that category. And I guess Poor Things also is kind of an interesting tone, where it's kind of another dramedy. Mm -hmm. But I'd say I definitely laughed more during Poor Things than The Holdovers. It was, it was maybe a different viewing experience because we watched Holdovers at home versus where we watched uh, Poor yeah. Things in the theater. So because other people were laughing. Yeah, there was one very strange man who was laughing at parts that weren't funny. Yeah. And not laughing at parts that were funny yeah. and coughing a lot. That's always the, the risk you, um, you have when you go to see sort of edgy comedy. You people you're saying nice to, to people who you're sort of wondering if they have their heads screwed on because they seem to be laughing at things that aren't jokes yeah but yeah i mean hopefully that guy's okay he doesn't do anything immoral in his spare time etc yes. <laughs> okay so next we have best performance by a female actor in a motion picture drama category and the winner of this one was Lily Gladstone, who played Molly in Killers of the Flower Moon, mm -hmm. which I think is well-deserved. Yeah, we've only seen one other of these performances, which is Greta That's Lee true. in Past Lives. Um, I believe Carrie Mulligan is very good in Maestro as well. However, Is it that Maestro or Maestro? I think Maestro, but... I don't know. I, I'd never consider it to be anything other than that, so maybe I'm wrong. Um, okay. Maestro, as Sarah had been saying earlier, uh, falls into the category of biopic about a man. So, and Ooh. this one, Priscilla, is a biopic about a woman. Yeah. Um, Although we just had an Elvis. Elvis movie, yeah. But I, th I believe this is meant to be more like uh, a, critical of, of yeah. Elvis, whereas the Elvis movie was was sort of painted them out to be like a tragic man who had no yeah, faults it's so. kind of a counter attack on a counter curse <laughs> um and then well the other ones nominated were annette benning for miad miad which we haven't seen um, and sandra huller for anatomy of a fall which that has come up a lot and i haven't seen it or heard that i think it's a european movie but yeah, I, I haven't seen it, so don't want to comment. I'm sure it's good, though. Um, best performance by a female actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy was won by Emma Stone for Poor Things. And I thought that she was really good in that part, and it seemed like quite a difficult part to play. Yeah. So I, I would agree. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a pretty... I mean, it's a very sort of obvious nominee in the sense that it's like she's having to do... Well, it is a nuanced performance, but it's like very in your face, like acting where she's, um, mm. I mean, we'll go into it, but the premise of poor things is that it's a, a child's brain inside a, an adult's body. So it's a lot of, you know, acting like a toddler, but, you know, as a, as a woman and the, the movie doesn't remain like that the whole time. So you see the character's growth. Yeah. She, I mean, she's a great actor. Yeah. So. You also see... She's naked a lot. 
Yeah. Which, as an actor, would make me extremely uncomfortable, but... Well, she's a tenured actor now. She's done yeah. a lot of movies. Maybe you, you get to a point where you're just like, I'm so comfortable. Or maybe she's done some stage acting in the meantime. It seems like stage actors are totally fine with getting naked, so... Name one. That guy in Burnt City. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. It all keeps coming back to this one naked scene we saw in an interactive... Okay, it wasn't interactive. We weren't... Yeah, I hope it wasn't interactive. We weren't getting jiggy with the naked man. But it was immersive, that's the word. Yeah. And he will never forget about it. But that now he thinks that all stage actors are just these... I think there is nudity in stage acting, though. In some, but like... Like, when they did full nudity in Hair, it, when did that come out? In... 60s, 70s, 80s, who knows? Yeah. But Can't that, the that was, like, the first time... Well, that's probably not true. But that was, like, a big deal. And then it was, like, a big shocking... I think in, in sort of modern times, it was, like, the first-ish time that that's ever been done. Mm. So maybe that led the way for a little more promiscuity on stage, but I don't think it's very common. And there's Daniel Radcliffe in in that horse movie where no horse the horse stage show, right? Where he has sex with a horse. What? (laughs) You haven't heard about this? No. (laughs) It's called something like Equitus or something like that. You don't know about this? He has sex with a horse. Yeah, and this was still when he was doing Harry Potter, so he can't have been that old. I think, you know, I, I like going to the theatre, you know, quite a lot, and we, we try to see, I mean, we mostly see musicals as opposed to plays, or non-musical plays. What's that called? A straight play? Uh, I just think theatre kids and people who are involved in theatres, I think... There's just often not enough like checks and balances on people to just stop them from indulging to the the nth degree. Making Harry Potter have sex with a horse, I think that's just it's a, it's crossing the line for me. It's crossing the line. It's called equus. I think that's how you say that. Equus. It does not sound like something I would enjoy. I feel like Dan Radcliffe must have been around eighteen or something when he did that, which I cannot ima- imagine having that kind of bravery when I was an eighteen-year-old. So. So, Emma Stone won for Poor Things. The only other thing we've seen for people nominated was Margot Robbie for Barbie, which, I mean, I think she does a good job in the part, but I don't think it's a particularly difficult role to play. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's not, like I, I was saying before, that's a bit more of like a nuanced performance in that. She does do some comedic stuff, but she's yeah. more the sort of, in a comedic sense, the straight man or straight woman um, mm-hmm. in that. Reacting to yeah. Ryan Gosling. And then she has some emotive parts, etc., which are a bit more, like, I guess, nuanced. But in comparison to Emma Stone's perspective, or Emma Stone is more like the like Ryan Gosling part of the Ryan Gosling performance. Although there's still probably a bit more depth. Uh, I just mean it's a bit more like in-your-face uh-huh. acting. Uh, yeah. It's like very physical. Yeah, I think it would be kind of strange to see Margot Robbie win over Emma Stone. But it was still a good performance. Yeah. And poor things in general is just very artsy. You feel like an intellectual people, yeah, when you watch it. <laughs> the people voting probably like to feel like they're intellectuals. Yeah. 
Okay, so best performance by a male actor in a motion picture drama was Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. So the ones, the people we have seen, the performances we've seen that he was up against included Leonardo DiCaprio in Killers of the Flower Moon, which he was pretty good. But you know, DiCaprio, we don't want to let him win awards, so... Yeah, well, he's already won one Oscar, so... Yeah. That's the only one I've seen. Ewan has seen Saltburn, so Barry... Keoghan, I think his is name that is. That how yeah. He's Irish, isn't he? He was nominated. Yeah. I did not see Saltburn. Um, I have heard awful, awful things. It, it was a good performance. A bit, a bit sinister, a bit creepy. Some male nudity in that as well, actually, so... He's probably done some theater acting in his time. Oh, my gosh. Because he's still quite young in his acting career, I'm quite happy to see Killian Murphy get the win because I do think his performance... I mean, he totally, like, leads the movie from start to finish and he does acting as Oppenheimer in different periods of his life and never looks out of place, even though when he's meant to be playing, like, a 20-year-old, a 50-year-old or a... 60 year old as a 50 or whatever so yeah. yeah i think he's great i think it's pretty well nuanced perspective and it's that it's not just like him going into a room and shouting at people and like throwing his arms in the air or whatever mm-hmm. it's you sort of feel the moral complexities of what he's taxed tasked with and in what from my understanding is a pretty morally complex man in robert j robert oppenheimer yeah Um, and you definitely get some window into that through his performance i think now that i'm thinking about it though i can only really picture one face that he does i kind of feel like his performance is fairly sort of neutral and we more get his inner conflict from the editing and the soundtrack but maybe I'm misremembering. But I feel like he mainly just has like like a blank, a blank expression. expression. And it's kind of the same expression that he has, Killian Murphy has at any press event that he's required to do. I don't do. think he likes to impress very much. Yeah. <laughs> he, like he looked miserable at the Golden Globes. I don't know if anyone saw that video of him walking by just looking totally like he did not yeah. want to be there. Yeah. And the, yeah, a lot of people captioned it like, me attending the plans that I made when I was feeling an extroverted. Also nominated here is Andrew Scott, who is also a uh, Irish actor. He was previously in Fleabag and Sherlock. Sarah seems to get him confused with Mark Ruffalo a lot, which I'm not really sure how that's happening, but... They look very similar! To Sarah, they do. But I haven't seen the movie he's nominated for, but I like him and I've, I've liked him in other things, so I'm, I'm glad he's getting some sort of mainstream attention now. Although I'm sure he's been getting mainstream attention for like a while, but yeah, it would be cool if he was nominated for the, the Oscar. I think we're happy with, with Killian Murphy winning. Yeah. So next is best performance by a male actor in a supporting role in any motion picture, which was won by another Oppenheimer actor, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. It's clear that they like Oppenheimer. Yeah. I did think that that performance was, was really good. I, I really liked, uh, that was probably the most inventive thing, I guess, with that movie is that they have this like dual narrative that's going on where it's like jumping between Oppenheimer's perspective and the perspective of 
uh, Straws' character, which is who Robert Downey Jr. is playing. I'm yawning uh, just thinking about it. And this Inquisition, etc., which, I don't know, I just thought it was an interesting way to frame it, because I don't think you would... Care about it? Yeah, but it was interesting. <laughs> and, I, I, yeah, his performance was good. I don't know, I mean... We've seen almost all of these performances, yeah. so also nominated is Ryan Gosling in Barbie, which was great. I mean, I've seen a lot of people say that his performance was like their favorite thing about Barbie, and then a lot of people getting angry about that, saying it like misses the point of the movie or whatever. So, but it, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, it's very good, like comedic performance. Well, I think it's clear that him and Barbie have different purposes of yeah. the movie. Yeah. I mean, he gets more laughs because he's the comedic relief. It's like how children go yeah. to musicals or, or shows and their favorite character is always the comedic relief. Cause... Yeah. Well, this is where like it becomes very... Because Ryan Gosling's performance in Barbie is complete, like the, almost the opposite of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in Oppenheimer, but they're in the Which same category. Which is maybe here. why they usually separate the categories, but not not for this But one. not for supporting role. No. So, yeah, it just seems kind of bizarre, that distinction. I thought Mark Ruffalo was like... Excellent in poor things, as was Willem Dafoe. Um, I think Ruffalo, uh, they probably have like an equal scre- screen time, but Ruffalo's, I guess that's a mostly comedic pre- performance as well. But yeah, there's, he was there's some funny. very funny moments in that from him. Yeah. Yeah, Robert De Niro is also nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon, and he was also like really good. But yeah, he's... but he basically just plays, I mean, I haven't actually seen many of his things, but I feel like he plays the character that. It is it is quite interesting as De Niro's gotten older because he used to be a kind of like tough guy as like a like young man, and now he's a kind of like this sort of wiry old figure who's sort of scheming in the He's background. Still manipulating the yeah. strings. But I thought that was a good a good performance and better than in The Irishman where there were scenes where he was looking like 40-year-old Robert De Niro because he'd been de-aged with digital effects but was moving like an 80-year-old man which was very jarring and there was none of yeah. that here so that was good. I think that it's a shame that comedies just for awards in general tend to get the short end of the stick because I think comedic acting is equal it takes as much talent a very different kind of talent but like it takes as much talent to be a comedic actor as to be a dramatic actor well I mean look at all these I mean there's not like tons of examples but there are examples of people who have been comedic actors or comedians who have then done comedic acting who have then done dramatic acting and been very good at it robin williams is probably yeah. the most obvious example but jim carrey is also excellent in all of his dramatic roles yeah but i feel like on the other side a lot of times dramatic actors have trouble with comedy yeah. like you'll see these dramatic actors on like snl or something trying to do these comedy skits and they're just so out of place and not in their element that it's not necessarily a transferable i would say actually just because it's relevant to what we're speaking about robert de niro is an excellent comedic actor that is true he's very good in in meet the meet the fuckers yeah um but But he's just generally funny in um and other things there's a scene in casino he's basically investigating um some the, the casino he's he's running gets like scammed by some people and he's like basically verbally attacking the security guard for not like picking up on it it's very funny it's yeah. not even necessarily meant to be funny but that's Scorsese's yeah. always been like very good at interjecting these bits of comedy and bits where it's just like people getting angry at each other and then yeah. people laughing etc so well and Robert Downey Jr. as even as Iron Man like his delivery I feel like is very good for most of the 
comedic moments. Like, I feel like he's one of the funnier. Well, Robert, have you seen Tropic Thunder? No. Okay. But we don't need to talk about that one. Well, that's, that's also a good comedic performance mm, if, okay. if that's what you're into. And I think that's all that we're talking about. Oh, but there's also best animated one we can end with. We've we've not seen what won the boy and the heron. Um, I do like Studio Ghibli movies, which that is one off or Ghibli. Which one is it? I'm not sure. Studio please, Ghibli. Co- please correct us. Studio Ghibli. I think it's Ghibli. Yeah. Let's go with that. Oh, and we can be wrong. I might be wrong. No, who knows? Okay. Which, I mean, I've, I've heard good things about. The only person I actually know who's seen it said it was boring and fell asleep during it. But um, they yeah. had also been pretty tired going into it, I think. So. I know a lot of people who really want to see it. But yeah. Who haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I mean, I've that's the same boat as me. But the yeah. one person who has seen it said it was disappointing. The one person who I know who's seen it, not the one person who has seen it. Oh, yeah, only one, the only person, one person in the seen world. It, it, was, it was bad, according to them. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm quite surprised it won over Spider-Verse, just because when Spider-Verse came out, or Spider-Man, colon, across the Spider-Verse, it was getting such like amazing like rave reviews. We both saw it, yeah. and we both liked it. I'm not sure if it's like my natural contrarianism, but I do think it's like a bit overrated <laughs> because I've seen some people say it's like the best animated movie of all time. The, the Across the Spider-Verse or Into the Spider-Verse? I've seen people say both are. Like Into the Spider-Verse had become the best animated movie of all mm-hmm. time and only it's been surpassed now by Across the Spider-Verse. Oh, they liked this one more? I've seen people go like both ways yeah. on it. I really liked it, but I thought that the sort of initial sort of amazement at all of the various animation styles going through the multiverse the initial amazement of that kind of had worn off by the second one so it wasn't yeah. as it wasn't as much of a novelty anymore and now there's been so many multiverse things that concept is kind of has begun to really get on my nerves yeah. but i still liked it and spider-man is like the most popular superhero probably mm. i mean probably up there with batman but in terms of like popular culture especially recently there's been so much stuff so you have like the toby Maguire movies then the andrew garfield Ooh. movies Yay. then the tom holland movies Yay. then all the avengers movies tom holland's in Yay. um and then i mean spider-man's like ever present and then this is like a multiverse movie that the whole premise is just like all the other Spider-Mans. I'm like approaching Spider-Man burnout. And I also think from a sort of... And you love Spider-Man. From a narrative point of view, this was like really long for an animated movie and it didn't even tell like a self-contained story because it ends on like a massive cliffhanger, which yeah. is fine, but didn't really leave me feeling super satisfied <laughs> for like a one-time viewing experience. Was this one more from Gwen Stefani's it, it, point of view? Yeah, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> famous Spider-Man character... Gwen Stefani. It was both. It's probably more so from Miles' perspective, but it does open and basically end with Gwen, so... Yeah. Her story is more self-contained, I think, than Miles' is. Yeah, I remember it had some cool stuff with melty colors and stuff depending on her emotions and yeah yeah that kind of stuff was cool yeah i do think that like the general animation style is not as groundbreaking or as visually unique because even like we talked about his puss and boots earlier mm. that sort of like riffs on the spider verse style a little bit at points mm. but they do incorporate like new things which is which is cool yeah um, for me it's like the first spider verse was was a cool new thing new approach to animation kind of like the first avatar was everyone was all excited because it was the first good cgi but then the second avatar came out and first now good it's like 3d cgi i think 
It was because it, it was a three D movie. I think that was what the, what the hype was n- about. No, didn't they have some three D animation before that? That wasn't CGI. I think well, from what I remember, like Avatar, like the the real hype was people like going to these three D cinemas and being like, "Oh, this actually looks like really good." That started a little trend for a bit of three D movies where everything started awful. being three D. Yeah. <laughs> but all that three D was generally like pretty cheap and was done in like post production, where it was just like yeah. some like one thing would come out the screen at one point, and then you get a headache the other animated movies were elemental which we haven't seen yet yeah because we know someone who worked on it and we want to watch it with them but that looks really cool apparently it was very difficult because the characters are elements so for example one of the main characters is like fire and it was really hard because there's not really a structure to her because she's just like a flame you know i'm doing all these wiggly movements to demonstrate that there's like no yeah i don't i think it was just harder to do those characters so it seems like the animation in that looks pretty dope but we haven't seen it yet there was also the super mario bros movie which was i believe the second highest grossing film of 2023 second to barbie that's correct (laughs) i realized i was nodding but that's not good podcasting so yeah which not we haven't actually seen it no i've heard kind of mixed things on it like some like it's meant to be all right yeah I've, but people i think have been disappointed because like there's been instances of like animated licensed properties like the lego movie actually being like really quite good mm-hmm. and people were i think the consensus was it was a bit safe obviously the the peaches song got very big yeah which but didn't it, win or the best original song maybe it should have but i'm surprised it did as well as it did because i remember people were really not happy with some of the voice actors like they thought this would sound weird well i think it's a bit of a meme that like chris pratt is just in like everything now so then he's not though well he he is in some of the biggest like grossing franchises at the moment or like at the marvel so it's the guardians of the galaxy the jurassic world movies that was eight that was like one came out last year no it didn't yeah it did (laughs) are you serious yeah Really? The third Jurassic World came out last oh, year. Oh, because that was coming out when I was working in the movie theater. Yeah, that would have been the second one, I think. That was so long ago. Then there's the Lego movie, which he's the lead in. That was ages ago. Well, there was a second one. That was like 10 that years ago. There was a second one, not as long as ago as that. And there was a second one more recently. Anyway, you know, Super Mario has a pretty iconic and well-known voice, which doesn't sound anything like Chris Pratt. So I just think it was kind of... 2014? It is now 2024? That was 10 years ago, everybody. That is when the Lego Movie came out. When did Lego Movie 2 come out? I don't think that was 10 years ago. That was 2019. So five five years ago. ago. I would... That is verging on recent, but I wouldn't call that recent. Anyway, well, that's just what the the hysteria around uh, uh, Chris Pratt being cast as. I think people were actually generally on board with Charlie Day as Luigi and, um, and Jack Black as Bowser. I think it feels weird... I mean, we, we didn't see it. Because those characters, I have noises associated with them in my head. So I would think that their voices would match those noises. Let to go! <laughs> and, and like, is Toad in it? Toad's like, pl- yes! No, I can't do it! Yeah, Toad's played by uh, the guy from Key and Peel. But not Peel. But I imagine they're not using... Michael Key. They're like they're actually speaking you know like is yoshi in it does he go <laughs> that's from arrested development that's the chicken noise. yeah it's also that <laughs> i did think it was going to be a little off-putting but i'm not really sure I've, I've, 
I've, I've heard that it's not as off-putting when you're watching it. Because it's like in Detective Pikachu. Because... Or is is only Pikachu... Is Pikachu the only one who talks? Yeah. Because, you know, I think of him as going... Pikachu! Not Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) But then he just starts talking, and it's just a normal voice, and it's weird. Mm -hmm. So... But anyway, we haven't seen it, so can't really judge that. Okay, in, in closing... Well, we were going to mention that Billie Eilish won the Best Original Song Award for the song that's in Barbie, which, I, I mean, we both think is a good song. The What Was I Made For? Mm, yeah. I was just going to say a general point that I don't think for a song to be considered good, it needs to be sort of slow and sad and dramatic, etc. So I would have So been... you think Peaches should have won? Well, it's funny. And it's like... You hate Peaches! Well, I was, it was... You said it was annoying. It was annoying when you were singing it all the time. I wasn't singing it. Yeah. Jack Black was singing it. Hmm. I agree with that, but I also really, really like that song. I think also, I just, I feel like Billie Eilish just... Is amazing. Well, she's a critical darling where it's like, she's, her first album won every Grammy award. It was like, it won like all five of the big Grammy awards. And that album is pretty mid, I think. Her second album's better, and I think won also almost every award, but not as many as the first one. She's really talented, but she's kind of an industry plant. Well, Um, fun fact, she used to perform in Isla Vista, which is where the students of UC Santa Barbara live, and she was doing that while I was there, and I never saw her. Because you were too busy doing your own performance, more impressive performance. But this was before she was famous, she was doing that. And also she won the Oscar because it probably looks like she'll win the Oscar again for this and she previously won for the James Bond song she did which Which, is also just okay which one did she do? No Time to Die it's alright again it's just a kind of like overly dramatized sort of sad slow song she also did the music for Turning Red yeah the boy band songs yeah which I think is fun kind of out of her usual style yeah yeah no I mean she's disclaimer I like Billie Eilish I think she's really good (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I just... Okay, moving swiftly forward. So those were the Golden Globes. Yeah. It only took an hour to recap all of them. And now we are going to decide our nominations and winners of the Sarah and Ewan... Awards. Globes. The (laughs) The Popcorn and Cumin Awards. Yeah. (laughs) For 2023. Real quick, the movies that came out in 2023 that we have seen are... Barbie, Barbenheimer, I'll just say Barbenheimer, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Dungeons and Dragons, Across the Spider-Verse, Ant-Man, Quantum Menace. Yep. (laughs) What is it? It was Ant-Man Episode 1, The Quantum Menace. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Past Lives, Haunting in Venice, Theater Camp, The Holdovers, Renfield, The Little Mermaid, Asteroid City, Indiana Jones 5, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? That was 4. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The Dial of Destiny. Killers of the Flower Moon. And I also saw Magic Mike XL. (laughs) What did I miss? I don't know. I mean, there's a couple movies that I've seen that you haven't. So I saw Scream 6. I saw Saltburn. I saw uh, Godzilla minus one, um, and I think that. Or did you say Murder Mystery two? Mm, Murder Mystery 
to... Do you say Renfield? Yeah. Okay. So are we doing like a just general award or are we, are, did you have categories in mind we were going to just, award? Just best picture. Okay. Well, I because I, we didn't discuss them in the Golden Globes discussion because they weren't nominated. Theatre Camp, I really liked. I would definitely recommend mm. you should go see that. That's a comedy about people trying to put on a musical theatre camp and this sort of frat bro type dude gets pulled in to run it when his mum, I think, dies. She's in a coma. My bad. The people running the theater camp are pretty zany and they're they're struggling with like money issues. It's it's very funny, I think. And as someone who doesn't really have a theater kid background, but has sort of heard things through friends, especially through Sarah, I think I was sort of Your friend, making Sarah. connections in my, my memories of stories I'd heard and the things I was watching on the screen. And I, I really enjoyed that. So that I was just, before we recorded, writing down my top... 21 movies of what i saw yeah. no that, that that was a good one especially for the theater kids out there so yeah it was very funny so that was my fourth favorite movie of the year and then my second favorite movie of the year was godzilla minus one which is a what about third well i'm not doing it in order i'm just saying because oh, we didn't discuss okay. these already okay. the order isn't actually that important i'm just saying like you know <laughs> i saw these amount of movies and um so second godzilla minus one really great godzilla movie it was it's set during just after world war Two, so it's kind of got that like historical grounding in japan it's sort of interesting perspective in like a post-war japan and then i don't know just godzilla looked really cool the special effects were amazing considering it's on barely any budget is this a is this a sequel is this the same godzilla in like godzilla versus kong no it's distinct from that so it's those, so those own... are american godzilla movies is it a sequel to any godzilla uh i don't think so i think it's like a real imagining so you don't need to see anything else to go and mm, watch that. i've never seen any yeah godzilla movies yeah it's interesting actually because when i went to see this in this the cinema beforehand there's a trailer for the new godzilla movie that's coming out sometime this year and in i mean the movie might be good the trailer looked like one of the worst things i've ever seen and i was like well i hope the movie i'm about to watch is going to be better than this <laughs> and it was so yeah i definitely recommend that if you can if you can find it. What is minus one? I don't know why it's called minus one. Hmm. That okay. must be some sort of Japanese naming convention. <laughs> I don't understand. Minus one is the one Kong. Yeah. Minus yeah. King Kong. Yeah. Instead of Godzilla versus King Kong, it's Godzilla minus one as in <laughs> minus King Kong. Okay. So yeah. Did you have any shout outs you wanted to, to give? Let me see. Ant-Man Quantum Menace was probably the worst movie I saw this year. Agreed. Or in 2023. Maybe equally as bad as Magic Mike XL, which was also very bad. And I liked the second Magic Mike, but this one was really bad. So those are my negative shout outs. <laughs> I liked Asteroid City, although I don't, I think it's, maybe it's like my number four or five, but my top three are probably Barbie, Barbenheimer, Barbie and Oppenheimer, and Past Lives. But I do also want to give a shout out to Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which was kind of surprisingly good, especially because a lot of the more recent Marvel stuff, such as Ant-Man, has not been so good. Sorry, Paul Rudd, I love you very much, but that was bad. But Guardians, I think, yeah, it had a lot of kind of surprisingly good cinematography moments and yeah, some emotional moments yeah, the, and funny the, moments. The Guardians movies have always been pretty strong for the kind of like family dynamic they've gone for yeah. and the kind of emotional beats they've managed to pull off so yeah I, I really like guardians 3 as well i liked it 
kind of surprisingly more than Spider-Verse because I don't think going into it I would have expected that based on the critical receptions I I, I really like that as well yeah oh no okay maybe Asteroid City is more like six <laughs> so Barbenheimer past lives and maybe now poor things as well would be in there you also like Hunger Games right I did yeah but I don't know if it deserves to be in the top top six i mean it's, it's your personal thing you, you don't need to feel it's hard to rank things I'm, i'll just do my top three barbenheimer past lives <laughs> what was the fourth one i'll add that in maybe poor things i think you were saying. poor things yeah and maybe gardens of the galaxy 3 well that, i i just wanted to give that a shout out but that's up there yeah so this list might not be exhaustive because we'll probably see some more 2023 releases ahead of the Oscars. So we could probably do a more definitive list then. Yeah. Although we have now probably seen all the front runners, so yeah, it's probably less likely anything's gonna upset them. But who knows? Maybe my my top three would be Poor Things, Godzilla minus one, and Oppenheimer. Okay, like pretty similar then. Yeah. You're just. You just hate women, so woman. Well, you hate I mean, woman. Yeah, I mean, my slightly well, poor things is female. Yeah, right? no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, and luckily we've discussed these movies already, so we don't have to discuss them again. I'm saying my number one movie. Oh, okay. No, I do have to discuss it. Okay, because Barbie, I feel like I enjoyed that experience the most, and I tr- kind of didn't want to dissect it further than that, because then in my mind I would like it less and i want to just enjoy that happy experience that i had and it's more memorable whereas past lives i really liked but now after a while it's a lot of it has kind of left my brain so it's not as memorable as barbie it may be basic but i think i'm putting barbie at number one all right yeah and i'll go oppenheimer just to, to complete the 2023 well, yeah. year of, we of barbenheimer we are the epitome of barbenheimer right here yeah Funnily enough, I think that my vibe is more Oppenheimer and yours is more Barbie. What does that mean? You're the destroyer of worlds? (laughs) You're more happy-go-lucky and I'm more pessimistic. Am I plastic? No. And you're you're become death destroyer of worlds? Yeah. (laughs) That's our 2023 movie recap and Golden Globes examination and... You have now heard the, the, what is it called? When something happens for the first time. Debut, premiere. You've heard the premiere, debut, opening ceremony of the Popcorn and Cumin Awards. Mo- movie and film, screenplay, and motion picture awards. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.